Good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, the 11th chapter. I have a hard time admitting when I am wrong. Sometimes this turns out poorly for me, and I'm going to guess I'm not the only one. You see, this wouldn't be a problem if I was just right all the time, you know? Like, the other day, I was making quinoa, and I'm used to making rice. When you make rice, you boil the water, then you put the, the rice in. But with quinoa, it's the other way around. And uh, I didn't know this, and I was in a hurry, and I, I was making quinoa. We were going to the Benson's house, so I boiled the water, and I put the quinoa in, and it... it I just, I just messed it up, you know, and it caused us, we were like 30 minutes late, and it was just, it was a big kerfuffle, and this would have all been fixed if I had just done it right the first time, and when I realized I'd done it wrong, if I just be like, you know what, I was wrong, and uh, I, I just fixed my problem. And it's not isolated to just quinoa, I'm wrong a lot, you know, I, I've had... <laughs> You know, when I was young, I had a lot of these, like, wrong-headed Bible ideas. Either they were too naive or they were too fire and brimstone. And either one of those, uh, you know, they didn't help my cause. And my stubbornness to let go of them really probably caused a lot of trouble in my relationships to other people and in the evangelism I was trying to do. Or sometimes I'm just a poor judge of character. Either I think someone is really mean or fake or rude, and I talk to them and they're really nice, or the other way around, where I expect, you know, they'd never hurt a fly, and then they just undercut my trust. And I'm wrong, just a lot. And the trouble with this is that sometimes we're wrong, and we don't want to admit it, and we, we get stubborn. And this is dangerous, because when we're trying to have conversations with each other, when we disagree with one another, we need to be able to talk it out, to discuss, and to listen to one another. And when we can't do that, that leads to rifts in our church. It leads to fighting when we could be out there serving and evangelizing. It leads to us, you know, just looking silly. You know, like in a sort of practical example, if I had a big stain on my shirt and you were like, hey, Brent, I'm, I'm going to help you out here. You got a big stain on your shirt. Maybe you should go like clean that off. And I was like, no, I don't. You know, like that would be ridiculous. And I'd just be walking around with a big stain on my shirt. And I would like to know, I think if I had a big stain on my shirt. And this, you know, applies sort of practically in the sense that sometimes we're going to be wrong about certain things and we're going to look really silly as we do it. Or our wrongness and our inability to admit that is going to cause conflict in our lives. And so we need to, both in our churches and in our lives in general, know how to admit when we're wrong and to, to solve the problem. Because... We're never going to get unity. We're never going to get truth if we can't listen and disagree with one another. So today, I want to talk about the right way to be wrong. Uh, We're going to be looking at the book of Acts chapter 11 and the first 18 verses specifically. And we're going to see an example of a group of people that was wrong in just the right way. We want, if we're going to be wrong, You want to be able to admit it. You want to be able to change. And that's exactly what we're going to see in this story. So in Acts chapter 10, the chapter before this, Peter has just converted his first uh, Gentile convert. And there are all of these Jews. 
And, you know, they've spent their whole life, they've got a whole, you know, thousands of years of history of avoiding the Gentiles. They do not have anything to do with those filthy pagans. And so the fact that Peter went and converted one of them to Christ is just beyond their imagination. So they come to him in the first three verses of Acts 11, and, they, and it says, Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And they, they find out what happens. They come to Peter, and they're like, you did what? So Peter explains. Here, uh, we'll take this in chunks. In verses 4 through 10, it says, But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing, unco- nothing unclean or common has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. So we get this story, Peter saying, you know what? I was up on the roof, I was praying, and then I was in a trance, and this sheet came down. It's got all these animals in it, and, you know, a lot of them are unclean. And I hear this voice, rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, look, I've followed these kosher laws my whole life. I'm not about to eat something that's unclean. And the voice comes again. He says, what God has called clean, do not call unclean. And as the Jews are listening to this story, they're probably like, you know what, Peter, you, you, know, you did the right thing there. You, know, you should not have eaten something unclean. You know, I, I'm, I'm here with you, Peter, which makes it all the more ludicrous. You know, Peter, why'd you go to these Jews? Why'd you go to the Gentiles? You knew. And so they're, you know, they're attentive. They're listening to the story. It continues. Uh, verse 11, it says, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinctions. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel uh, stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. So Peter says, there were some men, they came to him, and uh, he hears the spirit again that says, make no distinction. So he goes with them and he meets a guy who's had a vision of his own. And this vision is from an angel that says, send to Peter, he's going to give you words that lead to life. And again, you know, you, you kind of put yourself in the Jews' uh, foots, feet, shoes. And, <laughs> and, you know, they're probably thinking along these lines like, okay, you know, I, I was with Peter when he was saying, I'm not going to eat this unclean food. And now, you know, the, the spirit has appeared to him. There are angels. Like, did this stuff really happen? Like, I, I know what I've been, been, a, been I've, what I've been raised to think, but is this really what's happening? Should he have done what he did? And here, Peter's going to seal the deal as he ends this, this section in verses 15 through 18. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. 
And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter says, he, as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and Peter remembers two things. One, he remembers that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said that he was going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And two, that on the day of Pentecost, an event that Peter and all of these Jews were present at, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and that was a sign from God, that the church was beginning, that people were accepted for salvation. And Peter thinks to himself, look, if God is treating the Gentiles in the same way he treated the Jews, then why am I going to treat them any differently? And so he makes this case to the Jews, and they listen, and it says in verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And you get the sense that there's a big pause in the verse here. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They heard him out, they listened carefully, and they decided, you know what, Peter, you're right. We were wrong. And how crazy is that? Because we have a lot of experience being wrong, and we have a lot of experience seeing other people be wrong. And you, you get the sense that this, this could have gone in a lot of different ways. You know, they could have heard him and said, that's ridiculous, and just stormed away. Or they could have picked up stones, you know, intending to stone him. Or they could have been like, you know what? That's just your opinion, Peter. Or, you know, I think I'm going to have to study this further. But instead, they listened, they considered, and they were like, we were wrong. You're right. And then they, you know, put their, their stuff into action, as we'll see a little bit later on. So I want to look at this story today and ask a few questions of it. How can we be wrong the right way? How can we talk with people who disagree with us? How do we go about changing our mind? And the first of these points is going to be that we got to listen. And this is uh, found in verse 18. It, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And this is kind of obvious, you know, in order to change your mind, in order to have a conversation, you got to listen to somebody. But this can go wrong in a lot of different ways. I mean, sometimes when we're listening to someone, we're not really listening. We're just listening so that we have something to reply to, or we have some point that we can call them out on. And then once we've got that, we shut our ears off and we're thinking about what we're going to say and not about what they're saying. So we got to listen not just to reply, but to, to understand and, and to get the substance of things. And sometimes we listen without belief. We listen uh, in a way that doesn't really show empathy. Uh, sometimes someone will be telling us something and it's like different from the way we've experienced things. And additionally, it sort of goes against maybe a, a vague truism that we'll have. So for example, this happens in the book of Job, that Job is a righteous man, so righteous in fact that God says to Satan, look, Job is amazing, he's never going to desert me. And Satan says, well, test him, you know, we're going to we're going to uh, punish him. We're going to zap him, kill his family, give him boils. Like, we're going to make his life miserable, and then he'll desert you. So this is what leads up to Job being punished severely. 
But Job has some friends. And Job's friends have this vague truism about their lives. And they think they understand God to, be, to work in this way. That if you're bad, God is going to punish you. And if you're good, God would never punish you. Because that's just the way God works. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And they realize the magnitude of Job's terrible life. And they say, look, Job, there's no way that you're a good person. You're a sinner, obviously. And Job challenges the back. He says, no, look, if I'm a sinner, show it to me. If I've done anything wrong, if I have looked at the wrong way in somebody, then, then show that to me. I have not done anything wrong. But for 40 chapters, this goes back and forth. His friends are like, no, Job, you're wrong. And he's like, I, I, I'm trying to find out how I'm wrong, but I don't understand. I can't have sinned because I keep looking at my life and I can't see anything. And they are unable to listen to him. And finally, at the end of the, the book, God comes and sort of vindicates Job in, in a sort of way. He talks to Job. He tells Job he shouldn't have spoken out of turn. But he, he talks to the friends. He says, look, you're wrong. And this sort of thing happens in our lives as well, that we have some sort of notion of how we think the world works. And when somebody says something to us that their life is working differently from that, then it makes us unable to listen to them sometimes. I think this happens a lot with people who have like anxiety or depression, that they'll say something like, hey, look, I, I had a really tough time getting out of bed this morning. Like life is really hard and I, I realize that God is blessing me. I realize I have faith, but look, I just, it's hard sometimes and I, I'm really, really sad. And there are people who will listen to them and, and will give them care and will, will help them. And then there are people on the other side who will say, look, if you just had more faith, you know, if you just cheer up, think about the positive things, look to God, you know, that's going to solve your problem. Just get busy, get to the work, cheer up. And that, that doesn't help because you're not listening. And you're guided by, again, this sort of vague truism like Job's friends were, when in reality, we got to talk, we got to understand that some people have experiences that are different from the ones that we have. And sometimes these vague truisms are just wrong. Another way that we can listen poorly, sometimes we just shut our ears. Now, this happens literally in the story of Stephen when they put their hands over their ears and they run at Stephen angrily. But we can do this in more subtle ways. You know, sometimes, like we're in Bible class, and you know, there's that one person and they're you know, they always have those annoying comments. And as soon as they start talking, you just shut your brain off. You might as well be scrolling through Facebook because you are not at all engaged in anything that they are saying. Or sometimes people say things that really just get us riled up and we can't hear anything else they say. This happens, I think, a lot in political discussions. And I'm not even going to like dip my finger in this. But all I'm going to say is if your political candidate is so close to your heart that you cannot entertain the idea that they are possibly wrong or have some motive other than the best interest of the people, then you might have missed the fact that Jesus is in heaven, not in the primaries. So, we got to listen. we got to have empathy. How do we do this? So, we talked about ways this happens poorly, where we shut our ears, where we listen without belief, where we listen without really listening. Well, how do we do this well? Obviously, we're trying to avoid those pitfalls. That's a good start. But there are also a lot of really practical ways. You know, we can repeat back to the person what we hear them saying. I can't tell you how many arguments I've had with people where I was arguing something they did not say just because I misunderstood them. So talk to them and understand what they're actually saying and what they're not saying. 
or listen with empathy. Be not Job's friends. You know, be a kind of person that, that hears people out and says, you know what, maybe you're experiencing something I've never experienced before. And also listen to try and understand. Understand where they're coming from, why they might say something. And that will help, even if you end up not agreeing with what they're saying, it'll help you understand them and understand where they're coming from and have a much more civilized argument because you're treating them as a person who has thoughts and not as just a, a position to attack. And obviously, you know, don't shut your ears. Listen with, with care and, and with concern and make an, an, an effort to hear people. I was having an argument with somebody when I was in college, and uh, we were going back and forth. There's me and this guy that I, that I was disagreeing with. We'll call him Bob. And uh, my roommate is there also. So Bob and I are going back and forth. And I mean, like, this went on and on and on for, like, 20, 30 minutes. And finally, my roommate steps in. He says, Bob, Brent, you got you to stop. Okay, listen to me. Bob, what is Brent saying? And so Bob repeats back to, to me and uh, to my roommate a, a general summary of what I was saying. And he's like, okay, Brent, now your turn. Brent, what is Bob saying? And before I could really even think, I opened my mouth, I said, well, where he's wrong is, and he's like, no, no, Brent, that was not the question I asked you. I realized I, I hadn't been listening. I didn't know what he said. And how was I supposed to repeat back? How was I supposed to have an open mind that could be changed if I didn't even know what he was saying, if I wasn't even listening to him? That's not going to lead to unity. It's not going to lead to us finding truth. It's not going to lead to anything good. We've got to overcome ourselves and really listen to people. And once we've listened, then that opens up uh, us to the second thing we need to do, and that is to change, uh, to change our mind, to, to change what we think about this. And this see, happens in the, the next part of verse 18. They fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then the, Gentiles, then the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So the, uh, the Jews here in this situation they heard, they fell silent, and then they thought about it for a little bit, and they were like, you know what? We, we were wrong. So the first step of this is, is that they've, they've got to be quiet. You know, you can't consider what other people are saying if you immediately snap back at them. And I've seen this happen so many times. I've done this so many times, that when we disagree with somebody, we don't take time to consider what they're saying before we are talking again. And this is, is hard, but... In order to do all of these listening steps, the, the, the steps of thinking and considering where they're coming from, and all of these, you've got to take time. You've got to stop and, and think. And then once you've been quiet for a little bit and, and thought through some things, then that's going to require you to weigh your arguments. They've got this situation where on one hand, they've got a bunch of history. They've got their, you know, their Jewish laws. And on the other hand, you've got an inspired apostle telling a story about God speaking to him and the Holy Spirit coming down. And you're like, you know, there's, there's not really a comparison here. That on one hand, I've got my history. On the other hand, I've got God speaking. And we've got to be able to do that. When someone is talking to us and they say, look, there's this verse, and you've really got to consider that when you're saying whatever you're saying. We've got to weigh these arguments. Maybe I've believed that for my whole life, but that doesn't mean that it's right. So we've got to weigh. And then what we need to do is check for what I'm going to call chains. 
Now, there is a sense in which sometimes someone could argue with us all day long, and they could make really good points, and they could weigh down the right side of that scale a ton. But that scale is never going to move because we've got it chained down by what we think. And that's why I titled this the unfair scale of the mind because there are going to be times where we're going to need to look inside of ourselves and say, you know what, I have these, these deep-held beliefs that are keeping me from really having an honest discussion, from really weighing this honestly. One of these is going to be fear. Uh, we see a lot of times in the world around us, people doing things that are wrong, especially we, we tend to point our, the finger at other denominations. And then when somebody comes and talks to us and says something that sounds like something that's going on in the world, then, then we get scared and we freeze up and we say, no, not that. And we run to this like polar extreme and running away from what other people think. The effort to try to not look like other people is not really the best way to get to truth. The best way to get to truth is to look at what the truth is. And so this happens where we don't seek the truth. We just seek not looking like other people. See, like, for example, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church is, is an example of this, where you've got these people who are opposed to homosexuality. And like, yes, absolutely. But they take it to this inordinate extreme where they're like picketing people's funerals and doing like awful protesty things. And like, that's not the way to get to people's heart. That's not the way to have conversation. And it's, they, they are so extreme on one side because they're afraid of caving at all to this other group of people. And like, that's, that's not the way to truth. That's not the way to think. Another one of these chains that we can find, not fear, but pride. And you think, really, this is the reason that Jesus gets crucified. Because the Pharisees and, and all the Jews at this time, they're not willing to be wrong. Not at all. And so they, they look at Jesus and they're like, I don't know how I disagree with him. And I, I, you know, he's, he's wrong. I don't know how. But I, we're going to get rid of him because he's, he's, I'm, I'm done listening to him. And so they kill him. And this happens in our own life. Obviously, we probably haven't killed anybody, but like in a lot subtler of ways. Like we will not accept the fact that we are wrong sometimes. And so we unfollow the people on Facebook who disagree with us. Or like if you want to hear someone confirm your opinion, we live in the 21st century. We've got Google. There are dozens and dozens of places you can look where people will confirm whatever you want to think. Take this corona thing, for example. If you are on the side that, you know, you like wearing a mask, it makes you feel comfortable, you go online, find a website, and someone will tell you masks make you safer. And if you're the kind of person you hate wearing a mask, you can go online, you can find a source there to say, look, wearing a mask, it doesn't do anything. Maybe it makes it even more dangerous. And you're like, good, I can think whatever I want to think because I've got sources. But that's not the way to truth. That's just the way to get people to echo what you think. We can do this with preaching as well. Like, okay, Brent told me something. I don't want to hear that. Or Jacob said something, and I disagree. I'm going to go find a different preacher who's going to tell me what I want to hear. And that's not the way to truth. That's not the way to unity. Maybe that's going to salve our consciences, but it's not going to help us be any better Christians. You know, we've got this idea that iron is supposed to sharpen iron, but iron can't sharpen iron if one of the irons is like, nope, I'm out, and just like leaves. Like, it's an abrasive process. We've got to clash a little bit. And it's going to be hard. 
But in order for us to grow, in order for us to have these uh, experiences where we make each other stronger, we're going to have to learn how to communicate and how to be wrong. So, first, we listen. Then, we change. And finally, we got to follow through. you got to launch into action. In the rest of chapter 11 of Acts, we see that there's a church in Antioch, and they start preaching to the Gentiles. And the Jews in Jerusalem, they get word of this, and they say, you know what we need to do? Let's send Barnabas up there. we gotta, we got to encourage the work. we got to get the people moving. And this is really how our lives as Christians need to work, that it's not just some intellectual uh, exercise. It's not a doctrine thing where we're trying to figure out what's the right call on every little thing. We're trying to figure out how to live. We're trying to figure out how to represent Jesus in our lives. And so if we change our mind on something, that requires a change of action. And so because they came to believe that the Gentiles were accepted, then they had to launch into action. They got to put their money where their mouth is. They've got to send somebody to go help the Gentiles. They've got to do things that move along this cause that they now believe in. Another really phenomenal example of this is Paul. In the span of Acts chapter 9, Paul starts out as a guy who is killing Christians, who's dragging them off into prison because he hates Christians. He thinks that they are opposed to God. And then God comes and talks to him. He sends Ananias to come talk to Paul. And by the end of this chapter, uh, Saul, who later will become Paul, uh, is a changed man. So much so that he's like preaching for the very cause that he was destroying in the first place in just, you know, 30, 40 verses. So we need to be the kind of people that change, the people that let ourselves be influenced by the things that we believe. And so just as, you know, a small example of this, you know, if we believe that all people matter to God, or if we believe that God cares about the poor and the oppressed, then how is that going to change the way that when you're driving down the road and you see a homeless guy on the side of the road begging for money, how's that going to change the way you treat him? Or how's that going to change the way that we treat people of color or immigrants who are coming into this country? Like, if we believe that God cares about people and God cares about their souls, then that is going to influence us and it's going to make us do things that we wouldn't naturally do if we got that herd instinct up. And so we've got to let God change our lives or else, like I said, it's just an intellectual exercise. Either we are letting the things that we believe push us into action. We are letting our faith prompt works, because faith without works is dead. Or we are promoting a spirit of stagnation, where we come to believe things, but we don't do anything about them. And then we're just like people who are not moving, where God wants us to be in action. God wants us to be actively serving him. So are you committed to the cause of Christ? Are you committed to doing the work? Or are you just committed to thinking, to considering and just sitting. No, we got to be active. We got to follow through. We got to be changed people and let that launch us into action. So then as we conclude, we can look at this story in Acts 11. We can look at the way that 
they listened. They changed their mind. They followed through. And like, this is incredible. And you think about, you know, like what would have happened if Peter had said, you know what, here is my, you know, my statement. Here's why I believe. Uh, here's why I did what I did. And they heard, their, heard him and they were like, nope, just no, I, I don't agree. Or if perhaps they had said, mm, you know, I'm really, I'm going to have to think about that more. Or that's yeah, just your opinion. Like, look, these people would have, we would have lost all of the momentum that they get in the end of the chapter when they send Barnabas. We would have lost the unity that they had as a church as they came to agree with, uh, with the truth. We would have lost so much of that. And so we see a need for us to launch into action, for us to listen with open minds, and for us to change because it allows us to be the functioning body that God wants us to be. It allows us to have unity. It allows us to, to work together. Otherwise, we're going to keep disagreeing with people until we get smaller and smaller and smaller, and we can't afford to do that. I talked on Wednesday about how we are foreigners in this world and how truly the only people that really get us, that really understand our heavenly citizenship are the people here that we meet together with that are also part of that heavenly citizenship. And if we are cutting lines and, and the big rifts between us, then we just keep cutting smaller and smaller the group of people that we need to support ourselves. And we can't do that. We need one another. And we need to be able to have open and honest communication with people of the world, or else that's going to shoot our evangelism. You know, we think about the fact that when you are trying to convert somebody, the plea that you're making to them is that everything that they have believed their life in, in their life before them, uh, everything that they hold dear, needs to be sacrificed to the will of God. That no stone is too sacred to be handed over to God and let him transform their life. And then if you ask someone to do that, then you better believe that they are going to ask you right back, well, how has that happened in your life? And I think that this is difficult, especially for people who are raised in the church, because we get this idea that, you know, like, I was pretty good. You know, I just needed, like, just like a, a little bit to, to get to heaven. And uh, Jesus, you know, he gave me that little bit. But, like, no. Like, if we truly believe in Jesus, then we really gave him our all. We let him transform us, let him change us. And if that is what we are professing, then we cannot be the kind of people that hold our own opinions at a higher level than we hold the truth of Jesus's word. And so if we're going to ask people to change their lives for Jesus, then we need to do that as well. So the question is, are you ready to listen? Are you ready to change your mind? Are you ready to follow through on the truth? Are you interested in unity? Are you interested in getting to work for Jesus? Or do you just want to sit? Do you just want to cause trouble? Have you given yourself fully to Jesus? Have you given your life over as a sacrifice to him? Or are you holding back ground from him? Let's pray. God, our Father, you are the way and the truth and the life. We thank you for teaching us to listen by always giving us your open ear. We thank you for giving us grace when we are wrong. We thank you for giving us your spirit to transform us. 
Help us to be busy with your work. Give us humility to admit when we're wrong and change to fit your will. Give us unity in serving here. Give us hearts that seek the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you're in need of anything, we would love to help you. Whether you are interested in this salvation and you've never been there, or if you are in need of encouragement or prayers or something else, we would love to help you, to serve you in any way that we can. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing.